All right, welcome back, everyone, to Campus Outreach Charlotte's 25th anniversary podcast. I'm here talking with some of the people that have made Campus Outreach Charlotte the ministry it is today and who've played a significant role. And today, I have a very good friend, Brandy Rawls, is joining us. Brandy, say hello. Hi. Why don't you uh, orient everyone to yourself and your family and what you do? Okay, so um, like Zach said, I'm Brandy Rawls, formerly Brandy Belk. Um, went to school at UNC Charlotte um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, where I became a Christian and then got involved with campus outreach. Um, went on staff at Wingate University and then worked in several different roles with Campus Outreach Charlotte. And now I am working with the East Coast Network doing development um, with that team. Um, I have a husband, Jay, and a two and a half year old, John Henry, who is um, a handful. He never, ever, ever stops talking, which um, my husband says he gets directly from me. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true, Brandy, knowing Jay. Yeah, yeah. So what is, what is life like uh, in COVID-19 coronavirus world with a two and a half year old? What have you guys been doing? Yes. Yeah. So um, thankfully, the Lord just completely blessed us in that we have lived right next door to our best friends. So we decided to be quarantine buddies and um, they have a um, 10 year old, a eight year old um, and uh, one and a half almost two-year-old. Um, and so John Henry did not really miss a bead because he was able to play with them um, constantly. We had um, afternoons together pretty much after the younger boys' naps. We would go out and spend the afternoon until dinner together. And since we had such a great spring, we were really able to enjoy a lot of outside um, time. Um, we just moved last weekend. So John Henry is having a really hard time um, not being beside his his best friends in, in our new place. So thankfully, some things are opening back up and we can go to some of the local museums and do fun things. And But we're still probably going to drive over there a lot and hang out. So doing a, doing a lot of outside hangout um, time and we're, we're missing some of the, our rhythms that we had before, but I think we've adjusted now to doing this kind of this weird season. Um, job-wise, it hasn't changed a ton for me um, besides I, things that I would travel to do in person. I now just do over Zoom. So, um, so still doing development the same, but just not getting the opportunity to be face-to-face with people as much as I was before. Yeah. So, Brandy, I've been asking a lot of people just about their story because Campus Outreach is not so much about the story of Campus Outreach isn't so much about the ministry of Campus Outreach. It's about the people that that have uh, contributed to it and who we've seen God work in their lives. Share a little, little bit with us about how God worked in your life as a college student and um, how you came to Christ. Yeah, so when I came to UNC Charlotte, um, I joined a sorority and immediately met um, a girl named Kristen Thomas who befriended me. Her name is Kristen Thomas now. That's her married name, but I honestly can't even remember her maiden name. Um, but she, we became friends in our sorority, and she didn't necessarily 
um, start explicitly sharing the gospel with me, but she did just um, spend time with me and then invited me to a campus outreach New Year's conference. So I went to this campus outreach New Year's conference, not really knowing what I was going to. I um, knew it was a Christian thing and I was definitely a cultural Christian so was happy to go um, and have something to do over the winter holiday. So went and was really struck by the way that um, people talked about the gospel and having a relationship with Christ. I had never really heard people talk about their faith in a way that brought them joy, the way that the people that I was meeting talked about it. It always was something that was communicated to me in a fear-based reaction. Like, you will go to hell, therefore you need Jesus. But for the first time, I was seeing people who really enjoyed walking with God and being in Christian community. And that was um, really a stark contrast to my experience before, um, not knowing any um really genuine believers in my in my friend group in high school. So that was the first thing um, that really um, stuck out to me. And then um, Carly Naramore, so you had Joe on um, earlier in the podcast, his wife Carly and I are actually in the same sorority. And so she had gotten connected to the ministry um, of um, our, that was going on in the sorority world. And she shared the gospel with me. Um, pretty explicitly over lunch table um, as we were talking in, in a like cafeteria style food court. Um, Which cafeteria? And, at UNC? So it was, well, no, it was at the conference. Oh, it was at the conference. Okay. Yeah. One of, there was like a little cafeteria. We were in this hotel that had a, a overwalk to, um, to another cafeteria or another hotel. And there was um, a cafeteria kind of set up in, in there. And so we would eat in there. And she shared the gospel with me there. And um, somewhere in the course of that conference, I really um, understood the gospel for the first time. Not just that um, Jesus was a savior, but I personally needed um, to be saved because my sin separated me from um, God, which I didn't understand before. So became a Christian there and then um, got involved in what was going on in the, in the Greek organizations um, there at UNC Charlotte um, and just grew in my faith um, through the investment of people like um, Stephanie Duncan and um, Kristen Galfin, who was the first person to disciple me. So it was a really sweet time um, in, in my walk with the Lord. Brandy, you mentioned the role that the conference played in your life. You've been going to New Year's conferences with Campus Outreach for uh, a while, as I have. Any special <laughs> conferences that kind of jump out, aside from, obviously, the one where you became a Christian? Any just great yeah. memories? Yeah, so um, so I've been going to conference for 20 years. Um, which I wasn't going to say crazy. that, Brandy, but uh, <laughs> I'm right behind. Um, Not quite that yeah. many. A lot. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that really um, stuck out to me is I'm pretty sure the year was 2012. Um, and I became a Christian and was involved in ministry in my sorority, um, 80 Pi. In 99 was my first conference. And so it, that was happening. And then 
there was kind of a resurgence happening among Kristen Nyland at the time, Kristen Nyland's um, ministry at UNC Charlotte. And I stayed in a room with a bunch of 80 pie girls who had come to conference um, that was in Chattanooga. And the conference was great that year, but what really was um, just amazing to see was God's faithfulness um, to do the things 12 years later in my sorority that I've been praying for as a student. You know, we didn't see much fruit in um, our sorority um, in the time that I was in school. And it took a long time to see some of that fruit, but to be there with those girls a decade later and see God moving and in that their lives was really huge and encouraging to me and, and to see what God has done in some of those women's lives now, um, another almost decade later, Um, and so many of them are walking with God. And, um, so that's the things that I love is being there at conference. You get to see a lot of people's first glimpse of the beauty of the gospel. Um, and their first glimpse at this Christian community happening on a macro, uh, stage and in a large scale setting. And it really is transformative to see that, um, and then have the individual conversations that really, shore up what you're hearing in the in the talk so probably that was the biggest one for me in all of those conferences so two decades worth of conferences two decades also worth of probably summer projects what is your um favorite summer project facility that you've stayed in and your least favorite summer project facility that you've stayed in (laughs) (laughs) oh man favorite is so hard um I'm going to say my favorite was probably the Landlubber Lodge. Which Maybe was most tolerable. Maybe that's the best. Most tolerable. Yeah. It was most tolerable, not because it was nice by any means. It wasn't probably the nicest one I've been on was the Sea Mist. Um, and, you know, that's not saying a whole lot. But um, but the Landlubber Lodge was, was not fancy by any means. But the setup was really conducive to the relationships, the um, it was like an L shape and had a, the pool kind of in the middle and people were just outside hanging out all the time. Um, nobody ever stayed in their rooms. There was another little small courtyard where we hung out. And so um, I think it's probably my favorite one because of the setup, but two, because it was those early years as a student where I had a higher tolerance for my feet being black from the grossness of the, co- of the carpet. Um my least favorite by far was a hotel we stayed in called the Telstar. Um, I've heard stories. Yeah. Oh man. The Telstar was, should have been condemned. It was torn down very soon after um, we stayed there. And it was like, you could not walk across the floor without um, your feet getting, being completely black. Um, And there was (laughs) our room um, was always kind of low level damp for some reason. And it was, it was disgusting and, um, would leak water into the light fixture of the room below us. Um, like every time we took a, sh- a shower, it was the Duncans that were staying below us. And, um, it was terrible. It was legitimately terrible. The guys stayed in this house we call the Smurf house because it was this really weird cottage. Um, and I remember going over there because I, I studied nursing in school. So I was a lot of times the project nurse and um, some guys were sick and they wanted me to go over to their place and check on them. 
And there was a whole section, there was a carpeted bathroom, I remember, with toilets facing one another. So that didn't make any carpeted bathroom <laughs> and toilets facing one another. The dueling pieces, I heard it called. The, yes, yes. Ugh. And um, and then the ceilings were about five and a half feet in part, some of the rooms. Because um, I remember, because I couldn't even stand up in some of the areas. And it was like, it was so weird. It was definitely, definitely the worst. <laughs> Favorite summer project job, Brandy? Yes. So I actually um, got to be a, a cake decorator on a, a beach wow. project one summer. So my second beach project, I worked at um, this Bilo at the beach. It was a really nice uh, grocery store called Bilo at the beach. And I worked primarily in the deli and then um, a little bit, like a couple of hours a day, I worked um, as an assistant cake decorator, meaning that I decorated the simple cupcakes and the easy cakes that were just like a, a flat icing situation. So then the next summer we're filling out applications. I got a job at Kroger and they asked if you had any experience. And I said, Deli and as an assistant cake decorator. And they were like, Oh good. We need a cake decorator. <laughs> so I was the cake decorator oh, at Kroger. Yeah. I was like, I, I think you misunderstood. Um, I don't actually know what I'm doing. So People would come in and I would, you know, have to uh, figure out how to make the cake. And it was before the time of YouTube. You know, now you can learn how to do anything on YouTube, but then you couldn't. You just had to make it up and figure it out. Um, and I remember somebody coming in and asking me to make a wedding cake. And I was like, you know, you really want to go down to Bilo at the beach. <laughs> um, you do not want me to make your wedding cake. I can promise you that. So that was probably the, the best job. Um, got to kind of figure out how to do and learn a new thing. Um, and air conditioning is always a, a benefit if you work at um, a beach project job to be inside. So, Brandy, you uh, graduated from UNC Charlotte, and the Lord was calling you to pursue a ministry with Campus Outreach vocationally. And uh, after many months, you might still hold the record for longest support raising season. Uh, I don't know. We're, yeah. We've had some people get pretty close um, lately, but eventually you showed up at the campus of Wingate University. And I did. Uh, you were. Uh, you and your staff partner, Clint Darst, were really charged with kind of restarting the ministry. And uh, tell us a little bit about what ministry at Wingate was like while you were there. Yeah. So I graduated a year before Clint, but I think in God's providence, he wanted us to show up at the same time. So it took me a really long time to raise support. And we showed up. There um, was kind of a remnant of campus outreach um, students left from the previous ministry. There had been a bit of a season that there weren't any staff there, so um, so that it was a little bit um, waning in its experience. Your wife was uh, one of the. Amy was one of the really strong student leaders there, um, and I, Clint, and I kind of came on and really were thinking, how can we um, one, be good stewards of the ministry that currently exists while um, replanting and starting something from, from scratch. And so I really got to know your wife really well, um, and we became super close um, friends and co-laborers. Um, she went into 
the dorms with me. And we were fortunate to have those students because we were really able to gain access to the campus um, through them, um, through the, the older students who were there. But what it looked like in those early days, I mean, I think it was a year and a half before we had a weekly meeting. Um, we did do a large group Bible study, like a, um, a co-ed group Bible study. But a traditional meeting, we waited a while before we, we did it. So we did a lot of uh, ministry in the dorms, hanging out. Um, and um, getting to meet people. And there's a lot of funny stories that kind of came out of that time, but, um, but that's what, that's how we spent our time for that first, especially year is just hanging out in, um, Canon and alumni, um, and homes, um, and really, uh, praying that the Lord would raise up some people for us to do this alongside. You know, your, your ministry there with Clint was known for a couple things, obviously, uh, evangelism, discipleship, all the bread and butter things of campus outreach. The, the other maybe important thing that you guys really uh, devoted yourselves to was hosting Christian hip hop con- concerts <laughs> at Wingate. You guys yeah, had a, yeah. a number of different um, Christian rappers come down to little old Wingate. Yes, we did. Um, Clint Darst has a unique ability to um to get people um, on his team and to do things that they would never do. Um, in those early days, we were able to get um, Lecrae down there. And, you know, Lecrae's big now. He wasn't as big then, but he was starting to be. And um, we had um, Lecrae and The Truth and um, maybe some others. I, but those are the two ones that I, I really um, remember. And a lot of that was born out of a desire for our ministry to be racially diverse. Um, we we prayed. It was especially a huge burden in Clint's heart, one that he was um, easily able to, um, to enfold me into that desire um, is to have a ministry that represented the campus. And, you know, Wingate was not an extremely diverse campus. It was, um, there were about 10% minorities on the campus, um, in the undergraduate program, 10 to 20, depending on the year. It was such a small population. It could fluctuate that much. But um, but we really prayed to the end that that many, um, that our ministry would reflect that percentage. And by the end, it was um, way more um, balanced than we even hoped that it, we, it would be. So we did have some diversity. And one of the things that we wanted to do was um, bring cultural um, events that didn't just appeal to um, majority culture, but um, but things that would appeal to minority culture as well. Um, and hip hop is a unifier. You know, it's a it was born out of minority culture, but the majority culture also loves it. So it was a it was a great place to start um, rallying. Uh, people together and getting contacts with um, minorities on the campus. But I did lament sometimes the uh, man hours that it took to pull off those kinds of events um, at a small school like, like Wingate. But looking back, it was, um, it was huge to be able to get to do those things and really fun. You know, Clint led the uh, 2010 and 2011 beach projects and yeah. one of his signature 
moves on the project was to develop a tailored um, song at the end yes. where he would write and produce and perform a song based around his project theme. And, and I led the project right after him in 2012. <laughs> and the thing I was most worried about is that, man, there's the expectation that I've got to produce some sort of hip hop song uh, in the line of DJ Klezzy. And I, I was talking with someone there like, you know, you don't have to do that. And honestly, Clint probably shouldn't have spent nearly <laughs> as much time <laughs> as he did. So Hey, the Lord gives us all in different areas. Yes. Um, yes. The Lord has definitely used a lot of those efforts uh, at Wingate. Um, so, Brandy, it, you've mentioned being at two decades worth of conferences. Not everyone here might know all the different roles that you've played with Campus Outreach. Mm-hmm. You've run staff at Wingate for several years. You went off of staff and got your seminary mm-hmm. degree and worked here at the church and women's ministry. You came back on staff and worked alongside me as the women's director of the the region. Now you're working at the East Coast. Tell us, 20 years later, what, what's still compelling to you about the vision and mission of campus outreach that you would want to be living where there is no campus outreach for hundreds of miles, and yet still you, you're compelled by this vision and mission? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I've asked myself that in multiple seasons. You know, when I we all have. <laughs> yeah, when I went to seminary, I my intention was to leave um, seminary and get a job in women's ministry in the church, and I almost did that. But um, but I still felt. I remember having conversations with you and with Andrew Holbrook, and saying I still feel like my best contribution is to build laborers on the campus for the lost world, particularly through the development of staff and making um, better equipped um, staff people. So the biggest thing that has compelled me to stay is the need. Um, The campuses are not getting less needy for the gospel and the staff are not fully equipped for the work that's ahead of us. I mean, we keep meeting new challenges, um, increased secularism, um, the COVID-19 realities that we're facing. Um, all of those things um, have really created a high need to maintain some of our leaders that have been around for a while to bring wisdom of experience Um, and uh, just a broader view to how we can invest in students and still continue to to build these laborers. Um, So the questions that we all ask when we're in ministry sometimes is, have I um, completed the work that the Lord has called me to do? So I don't feel like I've completed that work yet, um, that he has never given me the freedom to to say you're all done um, with campus outreach. I really considered that strongly, you know, when we were going to have John Henry, if I um, should continue doing this, this work, but I felt the Lord, you know, urging that I had not completed the work that he called me to do with campus outreach. Um, And then another question we ask is, have you raised up somebody to replace yourself? And so far I have not done that either. um, in in this role. Um, And I, um, have just um, had a strong sense that the Lord will make it clear when he's provided someone else who he wants to invest and do this, this work. But the mission and the need are the things that compel me the most is um, 
I still believe that the college campus is one of the best places to evangelize people with the gospel, um, establish them in their faith, and equip them to go reproduce their lives into other people. Um, even in the current realities, I think we still have an opportunity to, to do that well on the campus. Um, so I'm, I'm compelled by the campus as a place. I'm compelled by the gospel and just how it's radically changed my life and um, the desire for other people to know it and be changed by it. And then the need that we have not yet um, grown to a place where my, my services are not needed in this organization. So that, that's why I say I didn't anticipate being here for 20 years um, when I said yes in um, 2003 um, to Maddie B asking me to come on staff. Um, but it has been the best decision um, for um, the use of my time and, and talents and, and calling to, is to still be here. So I'm, I'm really grateful that the Lord has continued to make a way for me to do this work. You mentioned the current realities and the, the still overwhelming need and how it's compelling to look out and see college students who need Christ. And um, yet we're all hoping that we can actually engage with college students in the coming months and years. We're not sure what that's going to look like. But but one of the things I've told my staff, at least I've told my leadership team, is uh, you come on staff for a very particular reason. You, you want to share Christ. You, you want to make disciples. Hopefully, uh, those are your, your driving forces to, to be on this team. But being on staff now, there's a lot of other things that come with it, a lot of the management of the ministry, the management of the movement, handling these different things. This season really might provide us with a special opportunity to go really deep with a few in ways in which we maybe haven't been able to in the past. So I think for those who are still compelled by the vision of making disciples, this is still a great place to do that. And uh, I'm excited to see what what what's in store for us in the future, even though it might look a lot different. I think it has a chance for us to really purify who we are as a ministry again mm-hmm. and get down to the basics of building laborers, making disciples, um, helping people to know God and make him know. And, that, and that's, and that's really. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, if we were a ministry that was based on gathering a large number of people um, to events in order to bring about conversions and change, we would be in a much tougher situation. But we believe in one life, impacting one life, um, and in at the core of who we are. And so we can still do that. It's going to be pressed down and smaller. But I think you're right. I think it's um, it's a, a chance for us to get better at what we do um, and to return to some of our um, grassroots efforts that we were born out of. So Brandy, you mentioned you're working on the East Coast development team with um, your team right now is, is Joe Nairmore heads that up, Matt Bradner, yourself and Mike Meisenheimer. Tell, tell everyone a little bit about what you're doing specifically and what your role and calling looks like. Yes, that's a great question. Um, so when it comes to development, we all, the people, the four people on our team, We have a collective vision and job, and then we all have a specialty. Um, And my specialty is um, the the development of women. 
So we all do um, things like assessments, um, assessing staff um, to see if they're in a good fit for them, um, to see if they need some nuanced changes to their role, um, if they maybe need to move into um, a different career, um, or if there just needs to be some health changes. So we assess staff, um, and that's something we all do. What I do specifically is work on developing women to be greater leaders and helping develop directors, area directors, regional directors in their ability to understand and utilize their women. So I can um, kind of be useful to both of those um, areas. So one of the ways that I develop women is through coaching and mentoring. So I have several women that I meet with regularly over Zoom or phone just to talk through barriers in their ministry, talk through challenges that they have with people they're working on, and just bring my experience from years of doing this um, work into giving them um, hopefully helpful um, advice on how to navigate some of those um, issues that they're um, experiencing shepherding and um, managing their ministries. Um, shepherding people and managing their ministries. Um, I do some coaching um, specifically in how to do your job better. Um, I think sometimes we end up doing ministry the way we saw somebody else do it. I know that's what I did. Um, and I think that's an effective first step. But often we for, we don't make that transition into personalizing um ministry, life-on-life ministry into our own gifts and utilizing that. So I coach people on how to do that um, through, again, through those one-on-one conversations. And then I do a lot of trainings. So I'll, um, if it allows for me to be in person, I'll go in person. If not, I'll do it on Zoom. Some of the things that I have um, done trainings on are addressing um, anxiety in ministry, both from the angle of the minister um, to the ones being ministered to, because um, there's a high level of anxiety among our staff women and the students that they're um, ministering to in this season, because it's um, a cultural pandemic along with COVID. Anxiety is as another um, experience that so many people are facing. So, how do we address anxiety? I've done some stuff on that. Biblical friendship. How do we? Um, have friends, be friends, and have right expectations for our friends. Um, And then specific job trainings, like how do I actually do my job um, as a new staff person, as a women's coordinator? Um, So I do a lot of those kinds of trainings, coaching, and shepherding. Um, I also lead a college student. We do have a a school here. It's not, it does not have a Camp Sarge presence on it. Um, but I have some connection to students through church that I disciple um, a student as well. So that's how I spend the bulk of my time is through those kinds of development opportunities. Let's talk a minute about um, developing women in campus outreach. And I think there, there are a few things that um, you can see over the course of several decades, uh, change, evolve, grow develop. How how have you seen campus outreach, um, for lack of a better word, evolve in their view of developing women over these last 20 years? Yeah. So I think um, the Charlotte region has has done a great job um, of 
um, developing women, especially in the past um, decade, but even, you know, in the, in the decade before, I, I had a positive experience. But I think even in CO Charlotte and um, especially in some other regions, there was a mindset that there are um, two jobs for a staff woman is that she can either work in the office or she can be a campus staff person. Um, so the ceiling was really low. Um, you could not that there's anything wrong with those two jobs. Those are great jobs, but people have a hard time staying in jobs for a long period of time if there's no lateral movement or upward movement. So either either um, either way, they need to either be able to move to different opportunities or grow into higher opportunities. Um, and when, when those don't exist, which they didn't for a while, um, then that shorten, shortens the, um, the, the runway for exit from the, the staff team. So I think one thing that Campus Outreach has really grown in is giving um, more options for women as they grow um, to be able to do vocationally, um, but then also helping them connect to things um, opportunities that aren't necessarily a job title, but different opportunities for ministry. So here are some specific examples of, of that. When I was first on staff with Campus Outreach, um, it was real, really rare to see anybody do anything outside of um, campus staff, campus director, area director, regional director, women's director. Those, those were the roles, resource. Um, director. Um, but now there are so many different opportunities um, in, in things like social media. There's whole jobs um, around um, marketing and social media um, opportunities for people who are good in those areas that women fill. There are women resource directors, which there were not um, any that I'm aware of back when I was a young staff person. There are um, different um, roles in shepherding roles, like um, area women's shepherds um, that ha- that are there for opportunities, and then some different coaching and training jobs, even in on the regional level um, that women inhabit. So I think the one way we have really grown is in giving more opportunities so that people can stay around longer, which is super important as our culture becomes more secularized. We need more mature staff people around to help um, our young staff people grow in their faith and in their um, skills. Because, you know, when I was a student and most of the people who were coming to Christ and coming on staff came from a Christian worldview. So there were some things that were radical shifts for us, but it was mostly behavioral. Our whole worldview wasn't changing. But the majority of students that we're reaching now do not have a traditional biblical worldview as they're coming to Christ. And so it's creating, quote unquote, a younger staff person that we're, that we're hiring. And so keeping older staff around is so important to help invest in those younger staff. And there's more opportunities for that now for women than there were before. Um, So I've seen that happen. And then in representation, having people like me um, who represent women on um, directors teams um, and even on the network level is huge for helping um, our men who are um, leading our regions to 
remember and understand the women who um, are on their teams. We tend, this, there's nothing wrong with this, but we tend to see ministry primarily through the lens of how we do it um, and who we are. Um, just by nature, we're egocentric people. Everybody is. And so if there are no women represented in some of those rooms, it's easy for their positions and thoughts to be overlooked and just like, how will this work? You know, we come up with these ideas. How will this work for the women? Um, and the guys try to think about that, but it's much easier for them to think about if there's a woman in the room that can answer that question. And so now there are more women in the rooms um, helping them think through those those questions. So I think that's been huge. It's helped us to have a more impactful and um, and uh, what's the right word? Not broad in the sense of large, but broad in the sense of um, reaching more types of people um, that we are able to kind of enfold into our ministry because women are well represented on every level. Um, I don't think anyone would have said this, and uh, I certainly didn't hear anyone say this, but there there was assumption maybe in some of the earlier days, 90s, 2000s, that, uh, you know, a, a, the staff woman's greatest contribution might be her gift of hospitality. In other words, you can bring the cookies to the weekly meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, hey, there, there are some women and there are some men who, you know, like like you had the job of uh, cake decorating. That, that's, that's, the hospitality is a wonderful, wonderful gift that's incredibly needed. But yet, if we limit a staff woman's um, contribution to the realm of hospitality outside of her personal ministry, we're missing so much in terms of the giftings and offerings and just what God has done in our different staff women. And I'm grateful that we've grown and developed and learned a lot. And that view of what can a staff woman do (laughs) has expanded a lot from a, what kind of brownies are you bringing to, to the weekly meeting? And um, unfortunately, that that was probably the mindset of more than a couple um, decades ago. And, and thankfully, I don't think that's there. Now we're teaching to develop. We're teaching our women how to communicate well, how to lead well, how to think well, and just be great holistic leaders. And the ways in which we've sought holistically to develop our staff men, I think we're catching up in the ways in which we're holistically seeking to develop staff women. Yeah. And, you know, I I agree with everything you just said. And early on, it was hard for me because I don't fit that traditional mold of what um, the the girl gifts are. Um, And as far as I mean, I can make brownies, but that's not how I want to contribute to the kingdom primarily. And so one of the big changes in development is keeping people like me and um, there's so many more other people that are not afraid to just say their their thoughts and give them um, into those those spaces so that then um, there's more more representation and then other women who are not wanting to you know have the bring the cookies all the time or do the PowerPoint um, as, as their jobs they feel like this is a space that they belong. And so you get some of those higher level leaders on the women's side. Um, and so that just took some, took some time um, to do, but I feel like it's definitely something that, um, that we're doing much better now than we did before. 
Amen. Amen. Brandy, how have you seen campus outreach as a whole seek to develop women? What are some of those specific ways? We talked a little bit about how you're seeking to do that, but for those that maybe were involved in the ministry in the 90s, early 2000s, and maybe haven't had, didn't have this type of development philosophy, what, what are we doing now globally to develop women that maybe we weren't, do, we weren't doing a, a decade or two ago? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think one of the things that we're doing to develop women is creating context for them to receive training that didn't exist before. Wendy Eunice really paved the way for this um, in her time um, as women's director um, in Charlotte, and then she continued to do it as she went to global. But one of the things she did um, for a while, I, I think this is a year she would have done it, but it's um, not possible because of um, COVID. But she would gather women who were in leadership positions all over the country to come together and then have some of the older leaders teach on um, different topics. So it was not just a time to come and enjoy one another while it was that it actually was very training oriented she would do seminars on things like how to minister to people um, in these contexts like anxiety or codependence and then we had um, things on how do you just even make a strategic plan for your women so I think um, having global opportunities for women to be developed and trained um, is a, a huge way that Camp Search as a whole is doing that. Um, I think also there's a lot of intentionality um, in our gathered spaces, such as conference and um, projects, to utilize the time that we're together to, to give more development and training opportunities to the women that are very um, both tailored to them um, and um, intentional in helping them grow in their theology and in their ministry skills. So some of those real formal contexts are huge. And then I think our, our um, directors have just been doing a really um, good job of asking one another and asking people like me, how do I do this? How do I develop these women? What can I do? And then um, we've been coming up with plans to do that. So the biggest change and the biggest um advance that we've made is that it's a part of the conversation, um, the development of our women across the board globally. Brandy, it's been so fun catching up with you. Um, haven't yeah. seen you in a while. I guess we saw each other back in March, but it's been three or four months since I've seen you. So it's great to just catch up with you. And yeah, uh, you and I have been through a lot over the past <laughs> decade or two. We've been through summer projects together, but we went through seminary together and then we partnered mm-hmm. directly as uh, I was the regional director and you were the regional women's director. And uh, I'm glad we still got I was even in your wedding. You were. You were. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't in your wedding, uh, but my no, wife no. Was. But your wife was. <laughs> so we've been through a lot and I'm just so grateful that uh, I get to call you a friend and I get to still yeah. work with you. And I'm also just really grateful for the impact you've had on our ministry over the past couple of decades. So thank you so much for joining me, Brandy. It's been a lot of fun. You're welcome. It was such a pleasure to get to be here with you. Well, until next time, I'm Zach Bulginetti and hope to see you again soon. Bye.